Section 11 of The Adventures of Gerard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier Saved the Army. Continued. I was lying there with the one thought still consuming me, how to wait a few hours and to get at that pile of faggots above my head, when the door of my prison opened and a man entered. Had my hands been free I should have flown at his throat, for it was none other than de Pombal. A couple of brigands were at his heels, but he ordered them back and closed the door behind him. "'You villain!' said I. "'Hush!' he cried. "'Speak low, for I do not know who may be listening, and my life is at stake. I have some words to say to you, Colonel Gerard. I wish well to you as I did to your dead companion.' As I spoke to you beside his body, I saw that we were surrounded, and that your capture was unavoidable. I should have shared your fate had I hesitated. I instantly captured you myself, so as to preserve the confidence of the band. Your own sense will tell you that there was nothing else for me to do. I do not know now whether I can save you, but at least I will try. This was a new light upon the situation. I told him that I could not tell how far he spoke the truth, but that I would judge him by his actions. "'I ask nothing better,' said he. "'A word of advice to you. The chief will see you now. Speak him fair, or he will have you sawn between two planks. Contradict nothing he says. Give him such information as he wants. It is your only chance. If you can gain time, something may come in our favour. Now I have no more time. Come at once, or suspicion may be awakened. He helped me to rise, and then, opening the door, he dragged me out very roughly, and with the aid of the fellows outside he brutally pushed and thrust me to the place where the guerrilla chief was seated, with his rude followers gathered round him. A remarkable man was Manuelo, the smiler. He was fat and florid and comfortable, with a big, clean-shaven face and a bold head, the very model of a kindly father of a family. As I looked at his honest smile, I could scarcely believe that this was indeed the infamous ruffian whose name was a horror through the English army as well as our own. It is well known that Trent, who was a British officer, afterward had the fellow hanged for his brutalities. He sat upon a boulder, and he beamed upon me, like one who meets an old acquaintance. I observed, however, that one of his men leaned upon a long saw, and the sight was enough to cure me of all delusions. "'Good evening, Colonel Gerard,' said he. "'We have been highly honoured by General Messina's staff. Major Cortex one day, Colonel Duplessis the next, and now Colonel Gerard. Possibly the Marshal himself may be induced to honour us with a visit.' You have seen Duplessis, I understand. Cortex you will find nailed to a tree down yonder. It only remains to be decided how we can best dispose of yourself. It was not a cheering speech, but all the time his fat face was wreathed in smiles, and he lisped out his words in the most mincing and amiable fashion. Now, however, he suddenly leaned forward, and I read a very real intensity in his eyes. "'Colonel Gerard,' said he, "'I cannot promise you your life, for it is not our custom, "'but I can give you an easy death, or I can give you a terrible one. "'Which shall it be?' 
"'What do you wish me to do in exchange?' "'If you would die easy, I ask you to give me truthful answers to the questions which I ask.' A sudden thought flashed through my mind. "'You wish to kill me,' said I. "'It cannot matter to you how I die. "'If I answer your questions, will you let me choose the manner of my own death?' "'Yes, I will,' said he, "'so long as it is before midnight to-night.' "'Swear it,' I cried. "'The word of a Portuguese gentleman is sufficient,' said he. "'Not a word will I say until you have sworn it.' He flushed with anger, and his eyes swept round toward the saw. But he understood from my tone that I meant what I said, and that I was not a man to be bullied into submission. He pulled a cross from under his zamora, or jacket of black sheepskin. "'I swear it,' said he. Oh, my joy as I heard the words! What an end! What an end for the first swordsman of France! I could have laughed with delight at the thought. Now, your questions, said I. You swear in turn to answer them truly? I do, upon the honour of a gentleman and of a soldier. It was, as you perceive, a terrible thing that I promised, but what was it compared to what I might gain by compliance? "'This is a very fair and very interesting bargain,' said he, taking a notebook from his pocket. "'Would you kindly turn your gaze toward the French camp?' Following the direction of his gesture, I turned and looked down upon the camp in the plain beneath us. In spite of the fifteen miles, one could, in that clear atmosphere, see every detail with the utmost distinctness. There were the long squares of our tents and our huts, with the cavalry lines and the dark patches which mark the ten batteries of artillery. How sad to think of my magnificent regiment waiting down yonder, and to know that they would never see their colonel again. With one squadron of them I could have swept all these cutthroats off the face of the earth. My eager eyes filled with tears as I looked at the corner of the camp where I knew that there were eight hundred men, any one of whom would have died for his colonel but my sadness vanished when I saw beyond the tents the plumes of smoke which marked the headquarters at Torinovus. There was Messina, and, please God, at the cost of my life his mission would that night be done. A spasm of pride and exultation filled my breast. I should have liked to have had a voice of thunder that I might call to them, Behold, it is I, Etienne Gerard, who will die in order to save the army of Clausel. It was indeed sad to think that so noble a deed should be done, and that no one should be there to tell the tale. "'Now,' said the brigand chief, "'you see the camp, and you see also the road which leads to Combra. It is crowded with your fourgons and your ambulances. Does this mean that Messina is about to retreat?' One could see the dark moving lines of wagons with an occasional flash of steel from the escort, there could, apart from my promise, be no indiscretion in admitting that which was already obvious. He will retreat, said I. By Cumbra? I believe so. But the army of Clausel? I shrugged my shoulders. Every path to the south is blocked. No message can reach them. If Massina falls back, the army of Clausel is doomed. It must take its chance, said I. 
How many men has he? I should say about 14,000. How much cavalry? One brigade of Montbron's division. What regiments? The 4th Chasseurs, the Ninth Hussars, and the Regiment of Cuirassiers. Quite right, said he, looking at his notebook. I can tell you speak the truth, and heaven help you if you don't. Then, division by division, he went over the whole army, asking the composition of each brigade. Need I tell you that I would have had my tongue torn out before I would have told him such things, had I not a greater end in view? I would let him know all if I could but save the army of Clausel. At last he closed his notebook and replaced it in his pocket. I am obliged to you for this information, which shall reach Lord Wellington to-morrow, said he. You have done your share of the bargain. It is for me now to perform mine. How would you wish to die? As a soldier you would no doubt prefer to be shot, but some think that a jump over the Merodal precipice is really an easier death. A good few have taken it, but we were unfortunately never able to get an opinion from them afterward. There is the saw, too, which does not appear to be popular. We could hang you, no doubt, but it would involve the inconvenience of going down to the wood. However, a promise is a promise, and you seem to be an excellent fellow, so we will spare no pains to meet your wishes. You said, I answered, that I must die before midnight. I will choose, therefore, just one minute before that hour. Very good, said he. Such clinging to life is rather childish, but your wishes shall be met. As to the method, I added, I love a death which all the world can see. Put me on yonder pile of faggots and burn me alive, as saints and martyrs have been burned before me. That is no common end, but one which an emperor might envy. The idea seemed to amuse him very much. Why not, said he, if Massina has sent you to spy upon us, he may guess what the fire upon the mountain means. Exactly, said I, you have hit upon my very reason. He will guess, and all will know, that I have died a soldier's death. I see no objection whatever, said the brigand with his abominable smile. I will send some goat's flesh and wine into your hut. The sun is sinking, and it is nearly eight o'clock. In four hours be ready for your end. It was a beautiful world to be leaving. I looked at the golden haze below, where the last rays of the sinking sun shone upon the blue waters of the winding Tagus, and gleamed upon the white sails of the English transports. Very beautiful it was, and very sad to leave, but there are things more beautiful than that. The death that is died for the sake of others, honour and duty and loyalty and love, these are the beauties far brighter than any which the eye can see. My breast was filled with admiration for my own most noble conduct, and with wonder whether any soul would ever come to know how I had placed myself in the heart of the beacon which saved the army of Clausel. I hoped so, and I prayed so, for what a consolation it would be to my mother, what an example to the army, what a pride to my hussars. When de Pombal came at last into my hut with the food and the wine, the first request I made him was that he would write an account of my death and send it to the French camp. 
He answered not a word, but I ate my supper with a better appetite from the thought that my glorious fate would not be altogether unknown. I had been there about two hours when the door opened again and the chief stood looking in. I was in darkness, but a brigand with a torch stood beside him, and I saw his eyes and his teeth gleaming as he peered at me. "'Ready?' he asked. "'It is not yet time.' "'You stand out for the last minute?' "'A promise is a promise.' "'Very good. Be it so. We have a little justice to do among ourselves, for one of my fellows has been misbehaving. We have a strict rule of our own, which is no respecter of persons, as de Pombal here could tell you. Do you trust him and lay him on the fagos, de Pombal, and I will return to see him die? De Pombal and the man with the torch entered while I heard the steps of the chief passing away. De Pombal closed the door. Colonel Gerard, said he, you must trust this man, for he is one of my party. It is neck or nothing. We may save you yet, but I take a great risk, and I want a definite promise. If we save you, will you guarantee that we have a friendly reception in the French camp, and that all the past will be forgotten? I do guarantee it. And I trust your honour. Now, quick, quick, there is not an instant to lose. If this monster returns, we shall die horribly, all three. I stared in amazement at what he did. Catching up a long rope, he wound it round the body of my dead comrade, and he tied a cloth round his mouth so as to almost cover his face. "'Do you lie there?' he cried, and he laid me in the place of the dead body. "'I have four of my men waiting, and they will place this upon the beacon.' He opened the door and gave an order. Several of the brigands entered and bore out Du Plessis. For myself I remained upon the floor, with my mind in a turmoil of hope and wonder. Five minutes later de Pombal and his men were back. "'You are laid upon the beacon,' said he. "'I defy anyone in the world to say it is not you, and you are so gagged and bound that no one can expect you to speak or move. Now it only remains to carry forth the body of du Plessis and to toss it over the Miradal precipice.' Two of them seized me by the head and two by the heels, and carried me stiff and inert from the hut. As I came into the open air I could have cried out in my amazement. The moon had risen above the beacon, and there, clear outlined against its silver light, was the figure of the man stretched upon the top. The brigands were either in their camp or standing round the beacon, for none of them stopped or questioned our little party. De Pombal led them in the direction of the precipice. At the brow we were out of sight, and there I was allowed to use my feet once more. De Pombal pointed to a narrow, winding track. "'This is the way down,' said he, and then suddenly, "'Dear mio, what is that?' A terrible cry had risen out of the woods beneath us. I saw that de Pombal was shivering like a frightened horse. "'It is that devil,' he whispered. "'He is treating another as he treated me.' but on, on, for heaven help us if he lays his hands upon us. One by one we crawled down the narrow goat track. At the bottom of the cliff we were back in the woods once more. Suddenly a yellow glare shone above us, and the black shadows of the tree trunks started out in front. They had fired the beacon behind us. Even from where we stood we could see that impassive body amid the flames, 
and the black figures of the gorillas as they danced howling like cannibals round the pile ha how i shook my fist at them the dogs and how i vowed that one day my hussars and i would make the reckoning level de pombal knew how the outposts were placed and all the paths which led through the forest but to avoid these villains we had to plunge among the hills and walk for many a weary mile and yet how gladly would i have walked those extra leagues if only for one sight which they brought to my eyes it may have been two o'clock in the morning when we halted upon the bare shoulder of a hill over which our path curled looking back we saw the red glow of the embers of the beacon as if volcanic fires were bursting from the tall peak of meridal and then as i gazed i saw something else something which caused me to shriek with joy and to fall upon the ground rolling in my delight for far away upon the southern horizon there winked and twinkled one great yellow light throbbing and flaming the light of no house the light of no star but the answering beacon of mount dossa which told that the army of clausel knew what etienne gerard had been sent to tell them end of section eleven an end of how the brigadier saved the army